You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Uh, well, thank you guys for having me. It's such a blessing to be here. Um, and uh, thank you for wel- welcoming my family so graciously. We got in at like 10.30 last night to the hotel because we were doing a Vody Bauckham conference at Godspeak um, with Owen Strand, Professor Owen Strand, uh, David Benham from the Benham Brothers, Vody Bauckham, and myself, the biggest no-name on the speaker list. And just an incredible afternoon there. So we got in late, but so excited to be here. I've, I've long respected Awakened Church for the time frame that I've been aware of them. And it's wonderful to be in a group of pastors in a community who are standing in the middle of the road of the culture of death, contending for the rights of the least of these. You know, scripture says to love the orphan and widow in their distress. And what many pastors don't understand what they miss about that is because, you know, the pulpits are virtually silent on the issue of abortion, right? We're seeing that start to change a little bit. This church is, of course, an exception. But it's funny, you know, that pastors will preach from like the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And that Jesus tells in response to the question, and who is my neighbor? And he tells a story about a dude who got beat up bleeding out on the side of the road and the natural enemy of that bleeding victim cared for him because Jews and Samaritans hated one another. Did I say that slow enough? Do you hear me? Uh, Love, care for orphans and widows in their distress. And pastors talk about all these verses in the Bible, right? And they never relate it to the issue of abortion. Now, I'm not saying you always need to. Of course, we're supposed to love all image bearers of God. We're supposed to love our neighbors. I'm not saying that the unborn neighbor is somehow more deserving of love than others. They're more deserving of protection because they don't have the right to life protected by this government. But pastors will speak from these verses and they'll never apply to the issue of abortion, right? What pure and undefiled religion is this? To what? to look after orphans and widows in their distress. If we're supposed to care about the orphan whose life is endangered because his parents are now dead, how much more should we care about the orphan in the womb whose life is endangered because his parents want him dead? And yet you won't hear a pastor say that from the pulpit except this pastor and this church. so. So thank you for having me. Thank you for being so brave, for contending for the faith. You know, your, your, your pastoral staff, the whole team here and all these other churches that are uniting together, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Jack Hibbs or Rob McCoy um, or any number of pastors who are standing in this season, it reminds me of this quote from Martin Luther. Um, and now I call it sort of the Martin Luther test. Um, it's a spiritual litmus test um, for the chest of pastors and for the chest of the church. And here's what Martin Luther once said. He said, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition, every portion of the truth of God, in other words, if I'm a really good preacher and I can wax and wane theologically and I can explain the beauty of the gospel inciting Bible verses and I'm a really good preacher of the word. If I profess all those truths, except precisely that point at which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking. I am not confessing Christ. However, boldly, I may be professing Christianity. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proven. And to be steady on every other battlefield is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that one point. And there's been a lot of flinching going on in the American church today. And I would submit to you this morning that that one point at which the church is flinching where the world and the devil are at that moment attacking is the womb more than any other location. I'm not here to denigrate other justice issues that God may have called you to. Hallelujah, praise God. He sends his troops to many different battlefronts. But while many issues are important, amen, hallelujah, that doesn't mean that all moral issues are equivalent. Some moral issues are more dominant than others. And here's, I'll prove it to you. 
1940s Germany, what, what are you thinking of right now? Oh, you, you must be a single-issue voter, Pastor Samuel, you <laughs> narrow-minded bigot. Why are you conflating that as a morally dominant issue over and against others? You know, there were poor people in Germany. Why don't you like them as much as Jews? Because we understand that while many issues are important, they don't all carry the same moral weight. When I tell you 1858 America, what do you think of? So, you single-issue voters. You bigots, why are you so narrow-minded in your application of gospel justice? You know, women didn't have equal voting rights in 1858 America. So you, you love the black man more than them, huh? No, it's because we understand, well, that's an important issue too. Blacks were being lynched and treated like cattle. That's a more morally significant issue than women not being able to have equal voting rights, even though they should and they got it. Not all issues carry the same moral Wait, And yet I think we understand and feel that there's a stirring happening in the church. It's almost like the church is like waking up from a long coma. And we're, we're praying that that will be a wave that the Holy Spirit keeps building as the church wakes up and starts to engage in the public square again, the ecclesia, to demand the welfare of the city where you are in exile, for in her welfare, you will find your welfare. Hallelujah, couldn't agree more. It reminds me of this quote from Winston Churchill. I think it was in 1944. So we're talking at the height of this genocidal maniac Nazi bigots, right? And Churchill, with spiritual and moral clarity that seemed to transcend all of the pulpits, even though we have no evidence that Churchill was a believer. We have no evidence that he was born again. And yet, God, through his sovereignty and providence, seemed to have given Churchill more moral and spiritual clarity than most of the pulpits in Germany. And what did Churchill say? He said, the destiny of mankind is not decided by material computation. When great forces are on the move in the world, stirring all men's souls, drawing them from their comfortable firesides, casting aside wealth, comfort, and the pursuit of happiness in response to impulses at once awe-striking and irresistible, we learn that we're spirits and not animals. And that something is going on in space and time and beyond space and time which whether we like it or not spells duty. Okay, what's Churchill saying? He's saying uh, something or someone is moving in the ether out there, stirring all men's souls, drawing them from their comfortable lifestyles, casting it aside in response to these impulses that I can't really explain that make me want to run away from my fireside and engage in the public square to stop the genocidal maniac agenda of Nazis. And yet Churchill wasn't a believer but there's only one who dwells beyond space and time. He who creates space and time freaking breathes out the Milky Way, drops oceans, laughs elephants into existence, and then makes you as the peak and pinnacle of his creation more valuable than anything else he has made and therefore gives you dominance and dominion to be stewards of the creation that he has given you. You're an image bearer of God more intrinsically valuable than any other form of life, despite what PETA might tell you. Now, why is all this significant? Because we sense that we might be in the early stages of revival. And yet I have a very, are you guys good with hard truths? Hard words at this church? Yeah? Okay. There will be no revival in this land as long as we continue to sacrifice our children to the pagan idols of convenience, money, education, and career well-being. But we're praying for it, right? God, you told me that if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and turn, turn from their sin and seek your face, then you will hear from heaven, you will forgive their sins, and you will heal their land. Yes, our land is in a lot of healing, but guess what? God ain't healing nothing until we stop lynching his children in the womb. 
Because did you know that the Israelites in Jerusalem, they were having wonderful worship services on the hill, and then in the evening they were walking down to the Valley of Ben-Hinnom where they were cooking their children. On the outstretched bronze hand of a pagan deity named Moloch. Now, was Moloch really an alternative deity? No, because Yahweh means one God, so any other God is a small g God that's Satan masquerading either as an angel of light or as an alternative deity. Moloch's not Moloch. Moloch is Satan. And Satan has always been behind the killing of babies. Satan is the dragon in Revelation waiting for Mary to give birth to eat baby Christ. He's behind the killing of babies by Herod in Bethlehem and by Pharaoh in Egypt. And he has always been behind the killing of babies. Abortion is Satan's pride and joy. So when your pastors were just talking about, you know, we're taking dominance, we're taking dominion, we're hearing prayers being answered about people opening businesses and taking ground, Satan will gladly give you all of that as long as you continue to give him his children, our children. He will make that deal any day. Just shove your children down my throat and I will be satisfied and I'll give you as much liberty, pursuit of happiness and right to bear arms as you want as long as you enjoy the fruits of liberty while denying life and liberty to the image bearers of God that God is knitting together in their mother's womb who are fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was woven together in the dark of the earth. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. As long as you shove those children down the throat of Moloch, he will give you any trade to give you dominance for any land, property or money as long as he can maintain the high sacrament of secular progressivism, which is abortion. So if we're going to have revival in this land, it ain't happening until we deal and start tearing down the high places of Baal. And I'll prove it to you, by the way. In Isaiah 1, God deals with the Israelites for sacrificing their children to Moloch. If you want to know God's heart for abortion, he's already made it clear when he blasted the Israelites for child sacrifice. And in Isaiah 1, he's talking to them about their great worship services up on the hill while they cook their children in the valley of Ben-Hinnom a half mile away. And he says, I hate your worship services. I hate your sacrifices. I hate your songs. I'm not listening to you. Your hands are full of blood. So repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Seek justice for the oppressed, the widow, and the orphan. In Psalm 106, God tells the Israelites the same thing. He says, you have sacrificed your sons and daughters to demons. That's what God says. That's from Psalm 106. He doesn't say to yourself or to Moloch. He says to to demons. And the land is desecrated with blood. So what does God say? I give you over to be ruled by those who hate you. Does it feel like the church is being ruled by people who hate the bride of Christ in America today? Yeah, they just called us non-essential for the last two years. I wonder why God has given us over to be ruled by those who hate us. So listen, I love this awakening happening in the church where we're beginning to contend in the public square for liberty, for all of these rights. But as long as we demand rights for ourselves and our born children while denying the right to life to pre-born children, any temporary security that we get of our Liberty, pursuit of happiness and property will only be temporary victories once to be taken away again because the foundational building block of the republic is rotten, which is why our founders were actually smart when they said, we hold these truths to be duh. That's what self-evident means. We hold these truths to be duh. That all human beings are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I wonder why they put the right to life first. Maybe because if you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. Those who kill children cannot be trusted to help children or you or maintain any of your other rights that flow from that first and most important of all rights. 
So if we want revival in this land, if we want revival in the church, it ain't happening until we begin to tear down the high places of Baal. We need to learn from our spiritual forefathers. And this is very important for the church. The church has really abandoned the life of the mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and we've really abandoned that in the church today. Most, most Christians and pastors don't even know much about their spiritual forefathers, about men and women who stood before, so that we can find the strength to stand again. Not just the apostles in Scripture, but also our brothers and sisters throughout the decades and throughout the centuries who have stood as well. And yet, you know, we all tell ourselves, you know, that if we had lived in 1940s Germany, you know, I would have been best friends with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. By the way, raise your hands if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. So, to my point, not to shame any of you, okay, just to make my point, that was 15 hands. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, martyr, prophet, and spy who stood against the genocide of the Jews and Adolf Hitler. He was involved in an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler's life. He was a pastor and a theologian. Seth, that's not very nice. We're called to nonviolence as Christians. Well, Bonhoeffer understood it like a drunk man driving a bus into a crowd of children. Hitler was the bus driver, and if he could take him out, he would do so. I'm not saying it's the same in America because it's we the people, it's a constitutional republic, and when there's nonviolent means to secure rights for your neighbors, you always do that. It's a different political and historical context, I get it, but this man was a warrior. And it was Bonhoeffer who said that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act, and God will not hold us guiltless. So if you're thinking, Seth, but I haven't gotten an abortion. And by the way, I'm going to talk to those of you who have because Jesus wants to forgive you and use you mightily for life. But if you're thinking, but I haven't gotten an abortion. Our church is not involved in abortion. We say we're pro-life. Yeah, and many of the Israelites said they were against child sacrifice. But in Deuteronomy, God tells the Israelites, he says, any of you who sacrificed your children to Moloch, listen, or turn your face from that man, when he sacrifices his children to Moloch, I will cut you off from among the people, you and all of you who follow after him in whoring yourselves after Moloch. Yeah, go tweet that. See how that goes with your squishy leftist Christian friends. He's saying, or you who turn your face from those other people who sacrifice their children, then I'll just cut you off from among the people and I'll hand you over to be ruled by those who hate you, you and all of you who whore and prostitute yourselves after Satan. So, yeah, we don't hear that kind of Jesus, that kind of God from the pulpit anymore today. So this is what we're contending against. So now that you're so encouraged with our political moment, let's look briefly at the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and see what he might have to teach us. One of Adolf Hitler's final commandments before he shot himself was you make sure that, a, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer is killed. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was uh, hung, I believe, was shot uh, days before the war ended. Okay? Because Hitler had learned that this group of confessing Christians in the confessing church had tried this assassination attempt against Hitler. And as a man who saw himself as a god, Hitler didn't really like that. So that was one of his final commandments, was you make sure that man dies. By the way, you want to know one of Hitler's favorite verses that he cited to the church in Germany? Romans 13. Be obedient to the governing authorities. We heard that a lot from Tim Keller and Russell Moore and Ed Stetzer and J.D. Greer when they said real people who love their neighbors keep their church shut. Real, neighbor, real Christians who love their neighbors get an experimental vaccine that was tested and in some cases developed with aborted baby cell lines. That's what it means to love your neighbor, said they. And they, including Andy Stanley, my goodness. 
who said Romans 13 means you have to be obedient to everything that the government says. And Hitler loved to use that verse to make the German church obey him. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his friends launched the Confessing Church to put themselves in opposition to the Deutsch Christens. That was the German church. Now, when I say the German church, don't think of like, like we use the word American church to refer to the church in America. When I say the German church, I don't mean the church that found itself in Germany. I mean the Germans church, the state church that was co-opted into silence or to preaching Nazi bigotry from their pulpits with the veneer of Christianity. And that's what Bonhoeffer and others called syncretism. Syncretism is when you attack pagan ideologies to your faith, but you still masqueraded as Christianity. Okay. And one of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's best friends was a man by the name of Eberhard Besky. Eberhard Besky was a member of the Confessing Church as well. And initially was a little bit of an anti-Semite. He repented of it and joined and launched the Confessing Church with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Eberhard Besky is the only man to have written a biography about Bonhoeffer who knew Bonhoeffer personally. If you want a great biography, if you want to learn who this man is, Eric Metaxas wrote a phenomenal biography on Bonhoeffer. Go buy it on Amazon now and go read it. Okay. Besky later described the situation as he saw it. Now, why does this bear relevance to our time today? Because in each case, whether it's the Holocaust or abortion, the government denied rights of personhood to an entire class of innocent human beings and used euphemisms to dehumanize them to justify their mistreatment. The Hiskerich, that's that was the German Supreme Court, they said that the term person does not apply to the Jew. And in 1973, the United States Supreme Court under Justice Blackman said that the term person is used in the Constitution does not include the preborn. So anytime that a society has ripped the term human from person apart, usually it follows with the genocide and millions of human beings being killed. It's happening again with the preborn, but don't worry, we confess pro-life beliefs. And Eberhard Besky had something to say about what him and Bonhoeffer learned about this idea between confession and resistance. And here's what he said. Confession, I mean proclamation, not confessing sins to proclaim. Does that make sense? Here's what Besky said. Bonhoeffer introduced us in 1935 to the problem of what we today call political resistance. Oh, he's getting political. The levels of confession and resistance could no longer be kept neatly apart. The escalating persecution of the Jews generated an increasingly intolerable situation especially for Bonhoeffer himself. We now realized that mere, mere confession, no matter how courageous, inescapably meant complicity with the murderers. Even though there would always be new acts of refusing to be co-opted by the government, and even though we could preach Christ alone Sunday after Sunday, during the whole time, the Nazi state never considered it necessary to prohibit such preaching. Why should it? That's Bethke. That was all Bethke. Why should it? Okay, pause. Now me, my commentary. Ready? Why should it? We were preaching Christ alone. The Nazi state had no problem with it. We were confessing anti-Holocaust beliefs in our personal lives. I'm personally anti-Holocaust. You know, I just don't want to impose my anti-Holocaust beliefs through law on other people. You're not supposed to legislate morality. You know, it's just my personal own beliefs. And the Nazi state was fine with the fact that we were merely confessing orthodoxy, right belief, and not exercising orthopraxy, right practice. And the Nazi state was fine with it. Why should they prohibit such preaching? You just keep your, your liturgy in the church, Christians. You espouse all those beautiful gospel truths. Just keep them in the walls of the church. Don't you contend out into the public square. Oh, have we been experiencing that in America for the last few years? The same thing. Same thing. Same thing then. So Bethke continues. During the whole time, the Nazi state never considered it necessary to prohibit such preaching. Why should it? Thus, we were approaching a borderline between confession and resistance. And if we did not cross this border, our confession 
was going to be no better than cooperation with the criminals. And so it became clear where the problem lay for the confessing church. We were resisting by way of confession, but we were not confessing by way of resistance. Is that not a perfect description of the American evangelical church on the issue of abortion today? We have been confessing pro-life beliefs as Christians for decades and doing little or nothing to stand against the sacrament of Satan, the sacrifice of children to pagan deities to improve our own lives or live just a little bit longer. And Satan, the Democrat party, the party of abortion and infanticide, that is Satan's party, okay? Oh, Seth, are you saying that the GOP is Jesus' party? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that one party lynches babies through all nine months of pregnancy, and in Maryland, four days ago, proposing a bill to not legally prosecute those who abandon infants to die 28 day, up to 28 days after birth. So when I say that the Democrat Party is a party of abortion and infanticide, I quite literally mean infanticide, okay? Confession without resistance. Satan and the culture of death will take that deal any day. Just keep your liturgy in the church. Don't you come out into the public square. What institution have communist regimes always gone after first? The church. Why? Why? Because unified under a common banner, the church becomes the most powerful organism for change in the world. Why? Because we understand, to quote Charlie Kirk, there is a God and you are not him. And I owe an account for my obedience and stewardship of what God has given me, including my life, only to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who entered human history as a zygote in a uterus that he wants knit together to redeem mankind from their sins. So when people say, Seth, the Bible's not pro-life because it doesn't say thou shalt not abort. So I'm a Christian too, but I don't speak out against it because it's political and the Bible doesn't have the word abortion in it. Uh, well, the Bible says to love your neighbor. The All humans are our neighbor. And the unborn is a human, so the unborn is our neighbor. It's that simple. The Bible doesn't have to say, thou shalt not abort for us to know that it is wrong. So, now that you're so encouraged with the political and cultural climate that we're living in, <laughs> let's talk maybe a little bit about what we can do. True believers must do three things to end abortion. We must know what we believe, what we're facing, and what we must do. To move from mere confession to resistance. And does the Bible have anything to say about that? Show me your faith apart from my works. I will show you my faith by my works. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. Neither does a bad tree bear good fruit. Fresh water and salt water can't both flow out of the same spring. Orthodoxy demands orthopraxy, right? Belief demands action. We need to learn from the lessons of our spiritual forefathers who forever lamented the fact that they confessed the right beliefs but did nothing to stand against their genocides. It's that Martin Niemöller quote. Martin Niemöller was a good friend of Bonhoeffer's, by the way. And you probably know the quote, but you might not know who it came from, Martin Niemöller. First, they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak up for me. To quote Dr. Mildred Jefferson, today it is the unborn child. Tomorrow it is likely to be the elderly or those who are incurably ill. Who knows but that a little later, it may be anyone who has political and moral views that do not fit into the new distorted political order. In other words, if you allow tyranny in the womb and you make peace with evil and make peace with abortion, because at least you're not being aborted, right? 
it's only a matter of time until that tyranny comes home for you as well. Which is why everyone currently ruining the country by attacking the right to liberty, pursuit of happiness, property, they're all pro-abortion. That's not a coincidence because those who can't get the right to life right won't get any other right right. But what do we believe? What do we believe? Well, we believe in Dr. Fauci when he says, follow the science. Follow the science. Follow, follow the science. I am science. Did you hear him say that? I am. By the way, where is he? He's like gone. Oh, because the political climate is no, more, is no longer conducive to working up votes to silence you, call you anti-science, misinformation, bigots, and accrue more political power because the tide's starting to change, and now Fauci's just running away, right? Because we can't vote him out. Well, I do agree with Dr. Fauci. We should follow the science, except he doesn't follow the science. Not only is he pro-transgenderism, that men can be women and women can be men. Don't worry, it's very science-y, science trademark over the E. He's also pro-abortion through point of birth. Very quickly, Dr. Fauci funds the University of Pittsburgh with grisly, Joseph Mengele-like experiments where they scalp the heads of babies aborted between 18 and 23 weeks old, some of whom could have survived outside the womb if cared for by heroic doctors in a neonatal unit. They take the scalps of those children and they insert them subcutaneously on lab rats. This all happens at the University of Pittsburgh. Then the rat begins to grow the infant human hair that would have grown on the scalp of that infant had they not been aborted in the womb. There's pictures of this, of infant human hair on the backs of lab rats. Now the rat has human DNA and cells in it. So it's a humanized mice, and we can use it to test solutions and, and experiments to find solutions to staph infections. Uh, okay, pause. The baby becomes a sacrifice on man's pursuit of eternal life. Oh, right, because that's what pagan societies have been doing forever. Sacrificing children, adults, and babies to the sex gods, the war gods, the weather gods, and the crop gods with the belief that they would receive a blessing in return from that pagan deity and their life would be extended just a little bit longer. It's Satan's sacrament. It's the same spirit. It's the same worldview. It's the spirit of the age and his obsession with killing babies. But the science is actually very clear. From the moment of conception, you're a distinct, living, and whole human being. Distinct because you could be a different gender than your mother. Preborn males. Amen, gentlemen? Preborn males, baby where our lives began, right? By the way, raise your hand if you weren't aborted. Do I got any unaborted human beings in the room? Woo! So every pro-choicer is very grateful that their mother was not exercising her right to choose. To quote Ronald Reagan, I've noticed everyone who's for abortion has already been born. <laughs> it's very ironic. To sanction the slaughter of children in a womb you once came from. <laughs> that is very ironic. But the baby's distinct because a baby could be a male and mom's not a male and pregnant women don't have male genitalia, so I guess the body in her body is not her body. Living because dead things don't grow. Did you know that? It's so sciencey. Dead things don't grow. And the baby's growing, so they're living. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's very sciencey. Fauci taught me that. Yep. As did Eric Garcetti. He's very sciencey now, too. Do you know if you hold your breath when you have COVID, you don't give it to anyone? Yeah, Magic Johnson and Eric Garcetti taught me that. Oh, wait, they're all pro-abortion as well. Wait, I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing a correlation here. When you're pro-abortion, you'll be a degenerate on every other right. But the baby's living because they're directing their own internal growth from within. And they're whole. What's a whole human being? If you don't remember a single concept from today, remember this one. It's very important. What is a whole human being? It's not a human being that's super developed. It's not a human being that has all these cognitive abilities. No, a whole human being is one who already has everything they need to realize their full growth and development as a participating member of the human species. Like a Polaroid camera, get the picture of the sunrise, you get spit out, you're shaking it, I got a picture of a sunrise. What if I rip it out of your hands, I tear it up in little pieces and I throw it into the freeway? Would you, would you be upset with me? But I would say, brother, sister, calm down, chill out. It wasn't a sunrise. It was just a black smudgy on a white piece of paper. 
And you would say, Seth, you weird anti-science misinformation Republican rube. The sunrise was already there. Everything that was necessary for the photo to realize its full development was already present when the photo got spit out, even if we couldn't see it yet. It just needed time. From the moment of conception, you were a distinct living and whole human being who already had from conception everything you needed to realize your full growth and development as one of us. Even if we couldn't see you yet, you also just needed time. Hashtag science. Follow the science. But none, no member of the Democrat Party follows that science, which is completely uncontroversial and literally not disputed by anyone worth their weight in science. And by the way, I could cite to you pro-aborts who have admitted this, like Alan Guttmacher, the former president of Planned Parenthood and the founder of the Guttmacher Institute, Planned Parenthood Statistical Research Branch, who in his book, Life in the Making, on page three, says, regarding if we know when human life begins, says, this is all so self-evident, it's hard to picture a time when it wasn't part of the common knowledge. How about Faye Waddleton, another former president of Planned Parenthood, who said, in an interview with Miss Magazine in 1997, I think we have deluded ourselves into believing that people don't know that abortion is killing. So any pretense that abortion is not killing is a, is a signal of our ambivalence, a signal that we cannot say, yes, it kills a fetus. There's two Planned Parenthood presidents for you who have publicly said, of course, we know it's a human being and that abortion kills a human being. So they all know this. We all know we're killing babies, but they do it anyways. Why? Oh, because they're not a person, right? Because it's Satan's sacrament. This is what the other side believes. They believe that not all humans are persons. Does that sound familiar? By the way, anytime someone tells you the unborn is a human, but not a person, I'm going to give you two ideological pistols, okay? Two questions. First question, um, what's the difference between a human and a person? Whatever difference they give you between a human and a person will be a difference found amongst all born people as well. Because the unborn child differs from us in the same ways we differ from one another. The only thing we have in common is the human nature. So if you want this idea of human equality, you have to ground it in the only thing we have in common. Because everything else comes in varying degrees. Skin color comes in varying degrees. IQ, athletic ability, musical ability, all these things come in varying degrees. The only thing that doesn't come in varying degrees is who we are, human beings. And when did we become human? Oh, the moment of conception. So that's the only way you can maintain human equality for all human beings is by grounding it in the only thing that we have in common. So that's the science, but they'll say that the unborn is a human but not a person. So here's your second question. Ask them this. Have you ever met a human that's not a person? Because I haven't. And I'm just like wondering, like, I would love to meet them. Like, where are all these human non-persons? Do you have any pictures of human non-persons? Well, that pro-choicer would probably take you in a time machine with Marty McFly back to 1850s America. Oh, right. Right, because there was a whole political party and culture that believed that a different class of victims at the time were humans, but not persons. Did the Democrat Party of the 1850s ever make an argument that blacks were not biologically human? They said they weren't persons. What happens to a society where being human is not enough to ground your rights. Well, then the high priests of secular progressivism, Fauci, Francis Collins, Joe Biden, Cecile Richards, former president of Planned Parenthood, they get to decide the litmus test of personhood. What are the cognitive abilities and functions you currently have to meet in order to be a person and have rights? So the left says the baby's not a person because what? They're not self-aware. Yeah, neither are infants. When you hold cute baby Jack in front of the mirror with the cute outfit mom put on him and you take a selfie to put on Instagram, right? Is baby Jack going, wow, mom, thanks. I look so cute. 
I'm aware of myself as a unique individual infant who's never existed before and will never exist again, and man, I look awesome. No, baby Jack is not saying that because he's not fully self-aware yet. So if self-aware is a litmus test for killing the unborn, then that works for infants too. Oh, but the baby can't feel pain. Yeah, neither can people with congenital analgesia, a condition in which you cannot feel any pain. Can we lynch them pro-choicer? And they go, ah, why are you applying my bigotry this side of the womb? Because ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And nowhere is that more true today than the issue of abortion. I could go on and on and on. I have a podcast called Unaborted with Seth Gruber because we're all unaborted. Uh, so that'll give you more ideological firepower than you probably ever want in a pro-life podcast. So if you want to be a pro-life ninja, um, go subscribe to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. We've had Michael Seifert on the show, who's an absolute warrior for truth, warrior for the unborn. And on my YouTube channel, you can watch Michael's talk at the conference we did in January called Stop Giving Your Money to Companies That Fund Baby Killing. It was a really good talk. Uh, you can go check that out. This is what we're contending against. Why does the left care so much about abortion? Why do they lose their ever-loving mind every time the right to abortion is compromised? Why does John Legend say no filming in Georgia because they pass pro-life laws? Why does the left push abortion? Why was every Chiron and headline when the Supreme Court seat opened up during the Trump administration not about transgender bathroom laws or the border or drugs? It was about abortion every single time a Supreme Court seat opened up. Why? Because it's the high sacrament of secular progressivism. Christians, brothers and sisters, you need to understand we are not contending against an alternative politics. We're contending against an alternative religion. But they slap the word science and politics over their false religion to keep the American public silent and to keep the politically impotent pastor silent. Because the only thing that allows them to pull off their agenda is to keep the church, the blood-bought bride of Christ, silent. Abortion says, you must die so I can live. But Christ says, I must die so you can live. I enter human history in a uterus, in a womb, to identify with you from your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage, in order to redeem mankind from their sins. Christ becomes a zygote, an embryo, a fetus, declaring that life is intrinsically valuable at every point that they're a human being. Peter Kreft, a Catholic philosopher, once said that abortion is the demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body. But with the opposite blasphemous meaning, you see, Christ says, this is my body broken for you. First communion, take and eat in remembrance of the King of Kings. But you see the culture of death, not ironically, because there are spiritual principalities and powers behind these individuals. They say the same words. This is my body, my choice. And I'll kill whatever's inside of my body because the serpent told me in Genesis 3, do it my way, eat the apple, and you'll be like a god. But Adam and Eve were already like gods. They were sinless. They were eternal. But they bought the lie that led to every other lie. And now we kill babies for embryonic stem cell research, fetal tissue research, and prenatal gene editing. And we tell ourselves that they become an acceptable sacrifice so that we can extend our own lives. Eternity is written on the heart of man. So they're seeking to secure that which has already been secured for them on Calvary. Ephesians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. But Christ has already done it. You see, abortion is the pagan replacement for man's pursuit of eternal life. But that blood was already shed. 
by the greatest former fetus to have ever existed. The prenatal deity. Go tweet that. Prenatal deity. The embryonic God-man who enters human history in a uterus that he once knit together to redeem mankind from their sins. So we can tell the culture of death, what you're trying to get, it's already there. Humble yourselves, repent, turn from your wicked ways, seek my face, then we will have revival. Francis Schaeffer once said regarding the silence of the shepherds, he said that every abortion center ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. Abortion is happening with the permission of the church because we have been like the Levite and the priest in the parable of the Good Samaritan. A parable that Jesus told a lawyer in response to what question? And who is my neighbor? And Jesus chooses to answer that question with a story about how two pastors walked by on the other side of the road where there was a bleeding victim. We have been walking by and driving by on the other side of the road for 49 years while our neighbors are being lynched in the womb. But don't worry, we confess pro-life beliefs, to which Satan says, thank you. Keep your liturgy and confession of truth in the church and don't take it out into the ecclesia. Don't you begin to tear down the high places of Baal. We will not have revival in this land until we repent of this. And so if you want to know what to do, we'll share more info with you. Love Life is a ministry partner of ours. In 20 seconds, they mobilized the church to get a Christian witness outside every abortion center in the country. Every day they're open, offering the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church. We need a godly politics. And if you're voting for pro-abortion Democrats, you need to repent and come pray with me afterwards. However, we don't wait for the politics to save children. We don't wait for politicians to pick up the mantle of the unborn before we start saving the unborn. We show up outside of today's concentration camps, today's death camps, when our neighbors have their death scheduled on the calendar and we plead with families and parents to say, don't do this. And not only don't do this, we're here for you. We're gonna love you, throw you a baby shower, provide for anything and everything you need because we're Christians and we've been called to love our neighbors and Christ laid down his life for us. So how can we not lay down our lives for our neighbor? The only class of neighbors left in America today that it is legal to kill. So yes, you should be single issue people because it's a genocide. It's the destruction of God's children. And if we had the spiritual eyes to see the principalities behind this abortion behemoth, I believe we would see demons in the room of every abortion center devouring children. We have been enjoying the fruits of liberty without contending for that first and most important of all rights, from which flows every other right that we have taken for granted. This is a Kairos turning point for the country and the church and the great adventure that we're missing out on as Christians when we say, I'm just pro-life and I make a one-time donation to the Pregnancy Resource Center and that's it. The great adventure we're missing out on is that God is already working in her heart before she walks into that abortion center to kill that children. And we know this because former abortion workers, when they leave the industry, have told sidewalk counseling pro-life groups for decades that uh, now that I'm a Christian, I want to tell you, uh, when you pesky Christians were there every day praying and trying to minister to women before they killed their children, uh, we would see a 75 to 80% no-show for the abortion appointments that we had that week. Wait, are you telling me that when the church stands up, Satan sits down? Oh, shocker! Because we're joining him in the work he's already doing. We're just tools. We're just tools. Love your neighbor.
If abortion is part of your story, Jesus wants to take your ashes and turn them into beauty. He wants you to use you to help where you used to hurt. Sarah Gable Seifert works with Pregnancy Resource Centers. Her or the team up here would love to pray over you if you have not begun a journey of healing. Because like King David, who killed an innocent human being to hide and cover up his sexual sin, you may have gotten an abortion to hide and cover up your sexual sin, but David's in the hall of faith and was called a man after God's own heart, despite the fact that he was a peeping Tom who slept with a woman, impregnated her, and murdered her husband. If there was grace for King David, there's grace for you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.